Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett. And today's guest is Nikki Ballou. And Nikki is the co-founder of E-Circle Academy. He also is the host of the Thought Leader Revolution podcast. He is a business consultant and a coach. And he is a number one internationally acclaimed best-selling author. Now, the book that I read that he authored is Finish Line Thinking, How to Think and Win Like a Champion. Nikki, welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. Jeanette Plissette, I love your name. It's got this musical ring to it. It's so powerful. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. I am excited as well. For me, starting out with this first book was an eye-opener in terms of who you are and what you represent. What I'd like to do is do a little bit of a rewind for the benefit of our viewers as well as our listeners. I'll tell you my backstory. I'm actually originally an immigrant from the Middle East. I'm a Christian from Iran. When I was a young boy of just 11 years old, the Islamic Revolution happened in Iran. And this was a tumultuous worldwide event, even though it took place in Iran, because the ramifications have been echoing through time ever since. My late father, God rest his soul, he could see that Iran wasn't going to be a great place for him to raise his Christian family anymore, right? Because we went from the relatively benign dictatorship of the Shah to the absolute tyranny of the mullahs. If you see photographs Uh, from Iran in the 50s and 60s, men and women are frolicking together outside. And it was just a wonderful, forward-looking place. And if you look at photographs of Iran from the last 40 years, that has all disappeared. There's photographs of Iranians that are basically revolting against the regime. And that's heartening somewhat. But they killed a woman just for having her hair uncovered. Five months ago, she was beaten to death. They just arrested a couple for dancing in public because women are not allowed to dance with a man in public, even though they're engaged to be married. They were sentenced to 10 and a half years in prison. You think about this. These are things that here in the West we take for granted, but they don't always exist in other countries. And I know, listen, no one's trying to pretend we have it perfect over here, but it's the greatest place on earth. I would agree. The fact of the matter is that there's been an assault on women for centuries, for centuries. Okay. And some have caught up to the realization that there's a lot of power in women. Women hold a lot of power, but in other countries, other places, they don't believe that. It's unfortunate, but that's a reality. From my point of view, what people here got to realize is that we have it good here compared to the rest of the world. We understand that. And we need to appreciate what we have more because those people that are just screaming about how horrible it is over here. I just want to take them to Iran for five 
five minutes. Scream in front of some of the government officials over there if you got the balls to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they'll take you and toss you in a deep, dark hole from which you will never emerge. I'm very grateful to live in the West. Like I said, it's not perfect by any means, but it is really good compared to the rest of the world. My father, he could see the writing on the wall. We eventually settled in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And at the time, I'm like, oh my God, why is this happening? But I look back and I go, God, dad changed all of our lives for the better. Look at how much foresight this man had. Look at how much love he had for his family. He had a heck of a lot of courage. It took some guts. My mom, too. Let's not discount the fact that she was a big part of this as well, because she was. It was just incredible that this happened. And my dad was a man who was an uplifter of human beings. If you knew my dad and you were looking for work and you called him up and you said, hey, Mr. Ballou, I'm looking for work. My dad was old school and people called him Mr. Ballou. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he would say, absolutely, I'll make a few phone calls. And he would be like on it. He'd be like, hey. You got a job for somebody and he will harass people until they say, yeah, I got a job. He says, you're hiring this fellow. Like it was like that, right? Like he was all over that. And if you knew him and you were trying to start a business, he would sit with you. He'd try to help you out. He'd even bring people to the table who could help you. He'd even bring capital your way if you needed capital. And that was all. That was awesome. And then if, if you were someone he knew, you were trying to buy a car or a house or an apartment and you didn't quite have enough money, you were a little bit short or whatever, he'd top it up. So you could buy that car, that house, that apartment. And people, when I tell them this, they go, what are you talking about? He bought people cars, houses, and apartments. Like, yeah, that's what he did. Who does that? He did, the late, great Napoleon Ballou. But why? Everyone will go, why? Why would he do that? Because they can't wrap their heads around people doing stuff like that, being that generous. And first of all, you have to understand, he was a devout Christian. And he had believed that he had been blessed by God and by Jesus. And that it was his duty to share those blessings. That was very important to him. More important than making the next buck. And ironically, because he was that kind of man, the next buck seemed to come to him more easily than to other people. Isn't that something they say, given and shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and running over. But I wanted to ask you a question about that. So as you experienced your father living as a Christian, giving as well as receiving, how did that inform your perspective as you continued on in your life as a younger person? Because you yeah. came to Canada when you were around 17, right? I was 15 years old, actually, yeah. when I got here. Yeah, I'll tell you something about that, because I'm glad you asked that question, actually. My father was an example to me growing up. I wanted to emulate him. I could see how people respected him. I wanted that kind of respect. I could see how people adored him. I'm telling you, even today, even to this day, there's people that approach me that I don't know out of the blue. Napoleon Ballou, are you, are you related to him? I'm his son. And they go, I need to tell you something about your father. And they would just tell their story, whatever it was, however he helped them. They would be emotional. They'd be in tears, many of them. They would shake my hand and hug me and go, I just want to tell you it's an honor to meet Who the hell am I? I'm like, what's an honor to meet me? You just, you don't know me, my dad. Okay, I'm my dad's son. But what I realized is that dad was somebody worth emulating. And he would always tell me, right? He'd say, son, remember, life is about people. It's not about how much stuff you accumulate. And business is about people. It's not about money and numbers. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dad? What do you mean it's not about money? I thought it was all about money. He says, no, son, money is just what makes it work. But the truth, the underlying truth of why we're in business is about people. I said, what do you mean by that? And he would say to me, son, whatever you do in business, he said, the store that you like to go buy your soft drinks from and your cheese puffs from, because when I was a kid, that was my thing. 
<laughs> I like to have orange flavored fizzy soda pop. It was called Canada Dry. And I like to have cheese puffs. That was my thing. I just loved it. I'd go to the store every day to buy one of each. And he said, why do you think that guy's successful in his business? Well, I go, because I want his things. He said, yeah, that's right. You're a person and you have a desire for something and he's helping you. He's helping you. The only reason he makes money is because he helps you and you're willing to pay for that. He said that all business is about solving problems for people, big or small. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense, right? People pay for having the problems. So I'm hungry for steak today. And there's a restaurant out there that makes the best steaks in your town. Great. You go to that restaurant, they solve that problem for you. That's what it was like. I developed a methodology, a metric from this called Nikki Billu's 3P, seven-figure business success solution, right? P1 was business is about solving problems for people for profit, right? P, problems for people for profit. Not just any kind of problem, but acute problems. Those are the ones that make you the most money for awesome people, good people. That's who you want to work with and for an amazing profit because obviously you also want to make money. All these things are important. And dad taught me all of that. When I was growing up, I would tell myself, I want to be like dad. And it took me a while to get there, but eventually I became an entrepreneur and I got into the helping professions. Now I used to be in corporate. I worked in corporations and I hated it. You know what I mean? I hated it. I absolutely detested those they were soulless places. There were a lot of good people there, but they were soulless places and they were all driven to make something for the few at the top and not everybody at the bottom. I got out of corporate and I started to work initially as a personal a fitness coach and had a wonderful brand called the CEO Health Coach. I'd worked with a couple Olympic gold medalists. One of my books that I wrote is written with an Olympic gold medalist named Mark McCoy. It's called Mark McCoy's Gold Medal Fitness Secrets Raw and Real. And he and I wrote it together. It's all his material, but all my writing, basically. And it was all around helping people become healthy and fit. And I just love helping people. I love that personal interaction. It's why I love what I do so much. And when I did that, it was great. But there was a time where that had run its course and I wanted to do something else. For me, I wanted to help entrepreneurs because I remember my dad, what kind of man he was as an entrepreneur. And I saw all the entrepreneurs around me. Contrary to movies and television, most entrepreneurs are really good people. Most entrepreneurs get into business, not because they're going, I want to make a gazillion dollars and screw everybody else. They get into business because they actually think, I want to be free, but I want to also help people. I got an idea that helps people better than what's out there. And I'm excited about it. That's what they do, right? They have a desire to serve. It's, it's a servant leader mentality. Here's the other thing I discovered is they were really good at whatever it was they were doing, but they sucked at business. You know what I'm talking about, Jeanette? However, many are very successful by trial and error, I have to say. There's an element where they need support. They don't have the background. They don't understand marketing and sales. They don't understand balance sheets, income statements, cash flow statements. You've got to be able to figure these things out. These are important to helping a business survive. They don't understand hiring. Firing can be rough on you. You know what I'm saying? They don't understand culture building. So you got a place where people actually want to come, right? They don't understand customer service. Some of them, they just don't get it. How do I serve customers? How do I deal with complaints by customers? Because you're going to have complaints. Believe me, everybody's going to have complaints. There's people that are going to come after you. Some of them go, okay, when is it time for me to exit? How do I exit? Do I just close the business down? I came from a business family, right? An entrepreneur's family. My dad knew all this stuff. He taught me all this. And then I went to school and I studied it. And I could see good people, especially here's where a lot of business people fall down in the initial stages in the under a million dollar a year business stage. They are scared of selling and marketing then. It's like public speaking. Most people yeah. fear public speaking. Exactly. They actually fear the rejection. Fear the rejection. Why? 
because they think I don't want to come across a certain sort of way. I don't want to come across like I'm bushy, like I'm salesy. Oh God, that's a word people use. They hate it. Oh, salesy. I don't want to reek of commission breath. You know what I mean? Those people that come, they don't care. They just want to sell you whatever they can sell you. I would see this and I go, these people, they wouldn't make the business happen for themselves. And in some situations, they would not go after business that they should go after and they should get. So they got hurt financially. Who else got hurt? The client, because the client didn't get their help. And instead, some charlatan marketer, one of these dudes or dudettes who's really good at selling, but don't care if they deliver, they'll come and scoop that business up and then they won't deliver. And so that client gets hurt and the sum total of goodness in the world came down. I saw this and it bothered me. And I'm going, okay, how do I help these people? Because when I tell them, no, sales is good, they're like, no, sales is bad. So I said, we got to rebrand selling. We got to reframe it, right? From sales to service. Nobody wants to be sold. You don't want to be sold. I don't want to be sold. We love to buy and we love to be served. We love a caring human being who's got our backs, wants us to win. That's what they care about the most. When I figured this out, I started to put together, like in Finish Line Thinking, you read the book, how to create your mindset in a way that has you you win. And it takes a while when I work with someone. It's not like instantly I go, okay, change the word. No, and it can't be. Nikki, it can't be. It can't be because when someone comes to you, you are unaware of what they have implanted in their minds. So it would appear to me that you have to address some of what they believe is a reality in terms of limiting beliefs and things of that nature, blow that out. And then it's almost starting from scratch. So how much of that kind of work are you doing with your clients? I do that kind of work all the time with almost everyone that we work with. Now, you got to understand, I can't position that, hey, I'm going to help rewire your mind because nobody wants to buy their mind being rewired. The way we position it is we're going to help you increase your business. You got to sell people what they want to buy, but you need to deliver to them what they need to have so they get what they want. This is what a lot of coaches and consultants and other people in business that don't understand business and marketing don't get, right? We rewired people's minds. And what we noticed is just that rewiring alone would help someone double, triple, quadruple their business. No doubt. And then you were talking about the whole thing about marketing, right? Most people don't know how to market. They sound like everybody else. They're stuck in the sea of sameness. That's a phrase from Dr. Nito Kubain, a Lebanese-born billionaire who came to America, broke, and now is the president of a major university North Carolina, the sea of sameness isn't a good place for people to be. So people would come to us and they would say, okay, Nikki, I don't know how to grow. And I go, what makes you different from anybody else? And they didn't have a good answer to that. Here's what I noticed was, I'll give you a couple examples just to illustrate this, because I think examples illustrate things. We had a young man, his name was Dan, and he was also a personal fitness coach when I met him. And he was 25 when I met him. And Jeanette, he was a sort of young man. And honestly, you would want him to date your daughter. That's how good a guy he was. You'd go to her and go, you know that fellow you're dating over there? You should tell him to go away. And I want to introduce you to Dan because he was that much of a good human being. You could just tell looking at him, this fellow was not about himself. He was about helping people. He sucked as a businessman. Oh my God, it was so bad. He was so brutal. Like it was just, he was a great trainer, but a brutal businessman. He had seven clients. He made $1,200 a month living in a big city of Toronto. He had to borrow money from his dad and his mom. So when I met him, I'm like, okay, Dan, tell me, who do you help? And he goes, I can help anybody. And I'm like, yeah, Dan, that's not going to work. He said, but look, but I can really do it. I help people lose weight. I've helped people put on muscle. I've helped people go to competition. And I'm like, I can help anybody. He was so excited to say that. And I'm going, anybody with a wallet and a pulse? 
I guess so. And I'm like, no, man, you can't do that. You need to narrow your focus. So he said, okay. And then he said, okay, I got it. I'm going to work with doctors. I'm like, why doctors? He first said, my dad's a doctor and they make a lot of money. So you're bang on. And I'm like, okay, the message of my dad's a doctor and you make a lot of money is not going to work. It's not the right a, answer. <laughs> you need a better Long message. Answer. Yeah. And you know, no, I'm going to give this a shot. Okay, Dan, whatever. So didn't work. Then he's Nikki. I'm not signing up a lot of people. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know why? He goes, what, what should I do? I said, you need a better market and you need a better message. He said, okay, better market. I narrow my market, right? They make more money than doctors. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And he's, I'm doing it. Sure enough, he did it. Sure enough, not much in the way of results. And just through serendipity, Danny met a, met a fellow, an African-Cuban man who had a missing leg. He was a Paralympian athlete from Cuba who'd come to Canada. Anyways, they started training together. You know, it was different. Didn't hear about a lot of people working with people with missing limbs or Paralympians. It worked. They did a really good job of creating a wonderful working relationship together. And then this fellow, Papito Wilson was his name, he goes to some competitions and wins some more medals. And he's all excited. Danny's all excited. And um, Danny comes to me, hat in hand. He's all sheepish. And he's like, okay, hey, Nikki, you know what, man? I'm, I've been an idiot, haven't I? And I'm like, idiot's a strong word, but okay. He said, I was going after the money, right? And I'm like, yeah, you were. He said, I should have been going after helping people, right? I'm like, yep, you should have. He said, I get it now. I said, okay, that's good. He said, I think I want to help people with missing limbs. I really know how to help people with missing limbs. And Jeanette, so Danny goes and he starts to help people with missing limbs. And I thought it was a great idea. In six weeks, he signed up 400 clients. 400. Six weeks. His income went up from 1200 a month to 100000 plus a month. Not a year, a month. He wasn't trying to make the money. He was trying to help the people. And these folks who he went to help, just imagine, put yourself in the shoes of someone with missing limbs. You probably would rather you had all your limbs. Would you agree that someone with a missing limb would rather they had all their limbs? I would agree that probably would yeah. be a logical and, and you probably would have a, a some sort of a limiting belief over what's physically possible. Something. And But Danny's message wasn't just, I'm going to train you. His message was, you can do anything anybody else can do. Right there. Mm-hmm. And when he found his purpose, his true purpose, as we peel back the layers in terms of a person who may be considering transitioning into or out of or wherever they are, what are some of the things that you addressed in your book, A Thought Leader's Journey, as a place to begin the thought process of what is next and what could it be? I'm glad you asked that. I think there's four qualities you need to embrace first before the nuts and bolts of the strategy. Remember the great Tony Robbins used to say success is 80% psychology and 20% execution? 80% psychology. You think about that. That means 80% of your time should be spent on fortifying this and this. So the first thing you got to do is you got to make a decision that you're going to do this. What does the word decide? The root of it is a Latin word that means to kill off. All the words with side in it, like decide, homicide, suicide, Suicide, regicide, genocide, they're all about killing things off. Decision to decide is to kill off the alternative to what you're deciding to do, right? You first must decide, I will be doing this. No kicking tires, no, let me check it out, let me think about it, I'll get back to you. No, decide, burn the ships behind you like the Greeks did back in Trojan days, right? That's the first step. 
Secondly, you must commit. You cannot be like, I'm going to do this for three months. And then if it works, if it doesn't, no, I'm in it to win it. You need to be a disaster before you're a master. You need to be willing to suck. Oh my God. I do not believe you said that. When I was in corporate, I have to tell you this really quick story. When I was in the corporate environment as a leader, I would tell my groups that would come in for training that they're going to suck at what they're about to learn at the beginning. And one of my vice presidents came in to observe and perhaps give feedback. And when I said the words, you're going to suck at this, bells ran off in his head. Their heads exploded. Exactly. (laughs) So fast forward, he took that thought and then he went to another meeting with other leaders and he told me the story. He said, and when I said, you're going to suck at this, he got so much pushback from using the word, you're going to suck at this. And he came back and he told me about that story. And I said, well, the reality is that they're going to suck at the beginning because it's new reality. I'm just talking the truth. I'm just dropping some gems on you. Amen, sister. Amen. My sister from another mister, Jeanette Lissette. <laughs> I just love saying your name, man. It just gets musical. <laughs> Here's the thing. You are going to suck. You have to be willing to suck until you don't suck anymore and you're just mediocre. And then you have to be willing to be mediocre until you're not mediocre anymore and you're average. And you have to be willing to be average until you're not average anymore and you're actually good. And you have to be willing to be good until you're not good anymore and you're masterful masterful mastery it is marathon level sprint david goggins i don't know if you're familiar with david goggins yes i am i love that man like he speaks to me he lays me bare when i listen to him my son loves him too my 17 year old grabs my goggins books and he reads them ahead of me he talks about this he said people say it's a marathon or a sprint and what they mean is at a marathon you slow down he says no mfr because you know he swears a lot right no mfr it's not that you sprint for the whole marathon you sprint that marathon that's the truth of the matter is it's gonna take time so you gotta be decisive and committed next thing you gotta be is coachable you cannot do this by yourself there is no way you're gonna do this by yourself you've got to be coachable you've got to have somebody in your corner because you don't know anything about how to do this that you can trust to guide you there you know the great robin sharma who was a client of mine back when I was a fitness coach. And I ended up becoming a client of his and doing some of his programs. He used to teach me, Nikki, Nikki, if you ever want to double your income in any year, triple your investment in personal and professional development. To double your income, triple your investment in personal and professional development. Triple. And I was like, damn, triple? Triple. Yes. Triple your investment in personal and professional development. I was like, wow. Okay, I need to do this right away. I did it and it worked. He was right. You need to hire the coaches. You need to join the peer groups. You need to attend the conferences, buy the courses, read the books. That's coachability. And then finally, you've got to be resourceful. Resourceful. Tony Robbins said, it doesn't matter what level of resources you have. What matters is how resourceful are you? I'll tell you a story from my life. Over a decade ago, seemingly out of the blue, my then wife, decided she didn't want to be married to me anymore. I was devastated and I spiraled, blamed her. I did everything but take responsibility for quite a long time. I spiraled out of control and wasn't making much money. I was sleeping on my mother's couch. Grown man with children sleeping on his mother's couch, not a good thing, right? I went to a conference and I heard a man deliver a talk. You with me? This man, he spoke to me. He was a he was a nebbish, nerdy, intellectual man, not usually my kind of fellow, but he spoke to me and he was very passionate in a very quiet way. He wasn't a man with a lot of gregarious 
loud ways, but he was passionate, but it was very powerful. And I walked up to him at the end and I plucked up my courage and I introduced myself. I told him my story and he listened. And at the end I said, I think I need to hire you. And he said, okay. And he said, but I need to tell you something you, because I told you this during the talk. I told everybody that my minimum fee for working with anybody is $5,000. It's for five hours of my time and $5,000 for five hours of my time. I offer no guarantees. I offer no refunds. And I get paid up front in advance. Would you still like to work with me? I just about lost all self-control. I was so scared. And I was like, but I don't have any money. I don't have that kind of money. He said, I know. He said, I'm going to give you some free coaching though. I'm like, okay, free coaching. I love it. Free coaching. Give it to me. He said, it doesn't matter how much money. I go, it doesn't. I thought that was all that mattered because you know you want $5,000 before you work with me. He said, no, what matters is how bad do you want change mm. he's like how bad do you want change you're a grown man you're sleeping on your mother's couch you haven't seen your kids in forever your wife doesn't want to have anything to do with you and you're not making any money and you feel horrible about yourself did i capture that about right that it doesn't matter how much money you have because if you really want change you'll find a way to come up with the money because i don't work for free and that's what happened that's what happened i said okay i wanted to punch him in the mouth but i didn't instead i said Give me a couple of days. I made an appointment to come see him in two days at his office. His office was actually very close to my house. I can walk there from where I live. I didn't know that at the time, but I was a fitness trainer at the time. And I called a couple of people who I'd been in discussions with about working with me who had not made up their minds. So they hadn't said yes, they hadn't said no. And so I called these two fellows with a lot of urgency. And I said, hey guys, listen, I got really good news for you. I said, what is it? And I said, you are fat and you need to lose weight right away. Right. And I'm broke and I need money right away. Okay. I want to give you the deal of a century, half price. But here's the catch. You pay me now, otherwise the deal's off the table. And they both said, yes, they gave me a thousand dollars. Here you go, two thousand dollars. And he looks at me and he goes, I said five. Give me two hours. (laughs) That's what I always thought. (laughs) I said, Bill, how many people have you given this little speech to that you gave me the other day? He said, over the years? I go, yeah, over the years. He said, 30, maybe 40. I'm like, oh, okay. That's quite a few. He said, yep. Besides me, who else came back to you with any money? He said, oh, you're the first. I'm the first. I said to him, okay, then take this as a sign of good faith. And I'm going to sign a contract saying I'll pay you the rest of it in 30, 60 days, whatever the case may be. And he said, okay. I paid him off early. I made $100,000 in the next six months. And the rest is history. What happened there was, his question, how bad do you want change? That was a powerful question. And it made me resourceful, resourceful. And as a result of me being resourceful, I was able to go out there and get the money. And because I was resourceful during my coaching tenure with him, and as a result of that, I won. If someone's listening to this and they're going, I'm thinking of making a change, what do I need to do first? First, you need to decide that you will make this change. Second, you need to commit that you are willing to suck and be a disaster before you're a master. Third, you need to hire some coaches, mentors, join the peer groups. And fourth, you need to become resourceful to come up with the money, the energy, the time, the sustained level of effort to make this work. Those are some great nuggets. As we start to wrap this up, I do have a question for you as it relates to the coaching piece and the consulting piece mostly, and how AI is being integrated into just about every walk of life from science Mm -hmm. to technology to engineering to mathematics to everything as it relates to life. 
How much impact do you think that artificial intelligence will have to the future of coaches and consultants as it relates to solving problems? AI can be very beneficial if you have the right mindset. I've gone on chat GPT and I've asked it questions about certain things to do. And it's given me some answers that I just go, what I ought to do with that is I ought to just copy that and incorporate it into some of the messaging I'm putting out there into some of my programs because it's going to be helpful to people. Can it disintermediate certain jobs? Absolutely. There's people that are going to lose their jobs. But if you're smart and you look at it as a tool, it can absolutely take you to greater heights than you ever dreamed you possibly could. I'm very grateful for AI in this case. Because of AI, I went from the last several years ago, I'd love to get on a lot of podcasts to actually doing it from a wish to an executed reality. So that's my thoughts on AI. I appreciate that response. I, I do. I've had some thoughts around that. And uh, as we move into this uh, virtual reality space, there's a lot of implications as it relates to artificial intelligence. And uh, maybe we can raise the stakes to some degree beyond what our average thinking would be and incorporate some of the higher level thinking, you know, as or maybe even abstract that AI can provide. So I was curious about that. As we bring our conversation to a close, for our listeners and viewers who are considering what their next chapter is, I believe the points you brought out were very valid in terms of making decisions. First, deciding, is this really what I want to do? Or first of all, what is it that I think I want to do? What is that energy? What is that passion? What is that path? And then, do I really want this? And am I willing to go through the different realms of discovery? about myself as I go down this path, because I think everyone goes through that. Just like you shared, you're not very good at some things at the very beginning. And that's a reality. And that's okay. We have to be willing to accept that we're not as good at the very beginning, but uh, if we continue to work at it and develop and expand our thinking, and as you say, educate, develop, read, we get better and better as time goes on. I appreciate that. For the benefit of the listeners and for our viewers, how can they contact you? What's the best way that you would like to be contacted? All you got to do is go on any social media platform and type in my name, Nikki Billu, N-I-C-K-Y-B-I-L-L-O-U. But if you're a business owner and you're interested in having a business conversation about your business and you want to see how you can elevate your thinking and elevate the way you operate so that you add a zero or two to your business, then go to my website, ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. You can book some time on my calendar. There is a screening tool we use. We just want to make sure that people that do book a time on the calendar are, as I said, business people that are ready to have a business discussion, then 1000%, let's do that. I'd be excited to do that. And I also recommend that if you're looking at taking the next step is you pick up a copy of the Thought Leader's Journey. I think I gave you a link for how to get a Kindle copy of that for free. If you want a hard copy, just go to Amazon. You can order that. That just lays out everything you need to do to take that next step and turn it into money because you deserve to turn your dreams into reality and you deserve to turn your ideas into money. So let's make it happen. Thank you so much for your time today. Look forward to hearing more from you and getting that second book and expanding my thought processes around that. Thanks for having me on the show. It was really a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. 
For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations. So until then, keep that fire burning and